Chapter Three of the Love Affairs of Bibliomaniac. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Yitro Gonzalez. The Love Affairs of Bibliomaniac by Eugene Field. Chapter Three: The Luxury of Reading in Bed. Last night, having written what you have just read about the benefits of fairy literature, I bethought me to renew my acquaintance with some of those tales which I often have delighted and solaced me. So I piled at least twenty chosen volumes on a table at the head of my bed, and I dare say it was night daylight when I fell asleep. I began my entertainment at several pages from Cately's fairy mythology and follow it up with random bits from Crofton Croker's Tradition of the South Ireland, Mrs. Carey's Legend of the French Provinces, Andrew Lang's Green, Blue and Red Fairy Books, Laboulet's Lost Fairy Tales, Hoff's The Inn in the Spazart, Julia Goddard's Golden Weathercock, Frere's Eastern Fairy Legends, Alves Jonsen's Folk Tales, Susan Pindar's Midsummer Face, Nisbet Bain's Cossack Fairy Tales, etc etc i fell asleep with a copy of william maria's fairy stories in my hands and i had a delightful dream wherein under the protection guidance of my fairy godmother i undertook an rescue of a beautiful princess who had been enchanted by a cruel witch and was kept imprisoned by a witch's son a hideous ogre with seven heads whose companions had four equally hideous dragons this undertaking in which i was engaged involved a period of five years but time is a precious consideration to one when he is dreaming of exploits achieved in behalf of a beautiful princess. My fairy godmother, she wore a mob cap and was hunchback, took great care of me, and conducted me safely through all my encounters with demons, giants, dragons, witches, serpents, hippogriffins, ogres, etc. And I had just rescued the princess and broken the spell which bound her, and we were about to live in peace to the end of our lives. When I awoke to find it was all a dream, and there was the gaslight over my head been blazing away through the entire period of five-year war with a delectable maiden. This incident gives me an opportunity to say that observation has convinced me that all good and true book lovers practice the pleasing and improving avocation of reading in bed. Indeed, I fully believe with Judge Methuen that no book can be appreciated until it has been slept and dreamed over. You recall, perhaps, the eloquent passage in his noble defence and the poet Archias, wherein Cicero, not Cicero, refers to his own pursuit of literary studies, Haec studia adolescentiam, alunse nectutem, oblectant, secundus rent ornat, adversis, ferfugium, assolasium, praebent, Delectant domi non impediunt foris, per noctant nobiscum peregrinantur rusticantur. By the gods, when spoke tally friend Cicero, for it is indeed so that these pursuits, nourish our earlier and delight our later years, dignifying the minor details of life and affording a perennial refuge and solace. At home they please us, and in no vocation elsewhere do they embarrass us. They are with us by night, they go with us upon our travels, and even upon our retirement to the country they do accompany us. 
I have italicized Pinochet because it is that word that demonstrates beyond all possibility of that that Cicero made a practice of reading in bed. Why, I can almost see him now, propped up in his couch, unrolling scroll of his scroll's favorite literature, and enjoying it mightily, too. Which enjoyment is interrupted now and then by occasion, which a noble reader takes to mother maledictions upon the slave who has let the lamp low of oil or has neglected to trim the wick. Peregrinantur, indeed, to do shallow peregrinations, these literally pursuits do. If Thomas Hearn, of blessed memory, were alive today, he would tell us that he is always to take a book along with him whenever he went walking and was warned to read it as he strolled along. On several occasions, as he tells us in his diary, he became so absorbed in his reading that he missed his way and darkness came upon him before he knew it. I have always wondered why book lovers have not had more to say of Hearn, for assuredly he was as glorious a collector as ever felt the divine fire glow within him. His character is amplified in his prayer, which is preserved among other papers of his Lordian library. O most gracious and merciful Lord God, wonderful is thy providence. I return all possible thanks to thee for thy care thou hast always taken of me. I continually meet with the most signal instances of this thy providence, and one of yesterday, when I unexpectedly met with three old MSS, for which, in a particular manner, I return my thanks, beseeching thee to continue the same protection to me, a poor helpless sinner, etc. Another prayer of Hearn, illustrative of his fate, independent upon divine counsel, was made at a time Hearn was importuned by Dr. Bray, commissary to my Lord Bishop of London, to go to Maryland in the character of a missionary. O Lord God, Heavenly Father, look down upon me with pity, Christ's pious soul, and be pleased to be my guide, now I am importuned to leave the place where I have been educated in university. And of thy great goodness I humbly desire thee to signify to me what is most proper to me to do in this affair. Another famous man who made a practice of reading books as he walked the highways was Dr. Johnson, and it is recorded that he presented a curious spectacle indeed, for his short-sightedness compelled him to do the volume close to his nose, and he shuffled along, rather than walk, stepping high over shadows and stumbling over sticks and stones. Yet perhaps the most interesting story illustrative of the practice of carrying one's reading around with one is that which is told by Professor Paulson, the Greek scholar. This human monument of learning happens to be travelling in the same coach with a coxcomb, who sought to air his pretended learning by quotations from the ancients. At last old Pazon asked, Pray thee, sir, whence comes that quotation? From Sophocles, quoth the vain fellow. Be so kind to find it for me asked Paulson, producing a copy of Sophocles from his pocket. Then a coxcomb, not at all abashed, said that he meant not Sophocles, but Euripides. Whereupon Pazon drew from another pocket a copy of Euripides, and challenged the upstart to find a quotation in question. Full of confusion, the fellow thrust his head out the window of the coach and cried to the driver, In heaven's name, put me down at once, for there's an old gentleman in here that had a bull lever in his pocket. Paulson himself was a veritable slave to the habit of reading in bed. He would lie down with his books piled around him, then light his pipe and start it upon some favourite volume. A jug of call was invariably at hand, for Paulson was a famous drinker. It is related that, on one occasion, he fell into boozy slumber. 
his pipe dropped out of his mouth and set fire to his bedclothes. But for the arrival of succor, the tipsy scholar would surely have been cremated. Another very slovenly fellow was De Quincey, and he was devoted to reading in bed. But De Quincey was a very vandal when it came to the care and use of books. He never returned volumes he borrowed. He never hesitated to mutilate a rare book in order to save himself the labor and trouble of writing out a quotation. But perhaps the person who did most to bring reading in bed into evil repute was Mrs. Charles Elstrup, ward and sister of the Canon of Canterbury, circa 1700. In his dissertation in Letter Founders, Rome Moores described this woman as the indefesa comis of her brother's studies, a female student in Oxford. She was, says Moores, a northern lady of an ancient family and a gentle fortune. But she pursued too much the drug called learning, and in that pursuit failed of being careful of any one thing necessary. In her latter years she was tutoress to the family of Duke of Portland, where we visited her in a sleeping room at Bulstrode. Surrounded with books and dirtiness, the usual appendages of folk of learning. There is another word that Cicero uses, while I have still somewhat more to say of that passage from the oration, Pro Archia Poeta, the word Rusticantur, which indicates that civilization twenty centuries ago made the practice of taking books out into the country for summer reading. This literary passage rusticate with us, says Cicero, and thus he presents to us a pen picture of the Roman patrician stretched upon the cool grass under the trees, perusing the latest popular romance, while, forsooth, in yonder hammock, his dignified spare swings slowly to and fro, calling the pages and the colloquates of the current fashion journal. Surely, the tell-tale where Rostricanto, you and I, and the rest of human nature find a worthy precedent, and much encouragement for our practice at loading up with plenty of good reading before we start for the scene of our annual summary. As for myself, I never go away from home that I do not take a trunkful of bugs with me for experience has taught me that there is no companionship better than that of these friends who however much all things else may vary always give the same response to my demand upon this solace and their chair my sister miss susan has often inveighed against this practice of mine and it was only yesterday that she informed me that i was the most exasperating man in the world However, as Miss Susan experienced with men during sixty-seven, hot summers and sixty-eight hot winters of her life has been somewhat limited, I think I should bear her criticism without a murmur. Miss Susan is really one of the kindest creatures in all the world. It is her misfortune that she had had all her life in an insane passion for collecting crockery, old pewter, old brass, old glass, old furniture, and other trumpery of that character a passion with which I have little sympathy. I do not know that Miss Susan is proud of her collection, if all is folderal, than she is of the fact that she is a spinster. This latter peculiarity asserts itself upon every occasion possible. I recall an unpleasant scene in an omnibus last winter, when the obsequious conductor, taking advantage of my sister's white hair and throat cheeks, addressed that estimable lady as Madame. I'd have you know that my sister gave the fellow to understand very shortly and very vigorous English, emphasized with a blue silk umbrella, that she was Miss Susan, and that she did not intend to be madame by anybody under any condition. End of chapter 3 Recording by Pagonzales in Cavita, Philippines